0: If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. Great account given to us by the Holy Spirit and Dr. Luke regarding actually what we consider to be, at least partially, the beginning of missions. Acts, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. What an interesting account of how God uses men. Notice it's the men that He chooses, which is why throughout church history, for the most part, churches have believed that it is God who raises up men to be leaders, pastors, teachers, elders, and even missionaries. But it's made clear by God in the church. And so from here, much of the growth of the early church was brought about by God as he used men like the Apostle Paul. Paul was an educated man, as you know, He was a Pharisee. Call him a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a a man who knew the Scriptures. He was a man who knew the Word of God. So he was a man particularly set apart by God for this work. And God then sent him out into various places, such as Asia Minor, which is where all the churches that Jesus addresses in chapter 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation are located. So, if you would, please turn with me now to chapter 3 of Revelation as we take a brief review of the church located in Sardis. In 2013, we looked at this church And we found that Sardis was much like Laodicea and much like many of the churches that we find today. We began by looking at beauty on the outside, but dead men's bones on the inside. As he says to the church in Sardis in chapter 1 and verse 1, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive. You know what that means? They had an appearance of being a a church that was really moving. was really excited for Jesus. A church that was doing things. Even as he says in the following verse, they were doing deeds. They were doing stuff. For God and for Jesus. And so this was the church that Jesus addressed. And in this city called Sardis. Now, really before I talk about the church anymore, I'll talk about the city. Sardis was a very influential city. In fact, Sardis was the capital city of the kingdom of Lydia, which existed between 1200 and 500 B.C. and it covered all of this region or at least much of this region. It was was the kingdom and Sardis was the capital of the kingdom. It was very influential in the ancient world. It was very wealthy and it's said to be the city from which King Midas came from. He had the Midas touch. When he touched things, it turned to gold. That was from Sardis. It was noted for having a temple to the goddess Artemis. It was one of the seven largest temples known to ever exist. It was twice as large as the Parthenon in Greece. But today it is merely ruins located near the town of Sarti in, again, the country of Turkey. Now, I mentioned about the Apostle Paul and the churches that God used him to establish. We don't really know for certain. But church historians in church history speculate that it was begun by the Apostle Paul. And so there it was. And as the text says, they had an appearance of being a good church. But as we read on, They were fooling everyone except Jesus. Because he says in verse 1, But you are dead. Doing all these works, but they were dead. He goes on to say in verse 2, I find the works that you're doing are incomplete in my sight. In the sight of God. What he's saying is, in essence, when he says that, that since your hearts are not right, all the works in the world cannot make you right. All the righteousness of men is filthy rags. And since your heart is not right, no matter how many works you do, even if they're in the name of Jesus, and look like church stuff, you're still dead. So they were fooling everyone except our Lord. One has said and defined the church at Sardis as a picture of a no, of nominal Christianity, outwardly prosperous, busy with the externals of religious activity, but devoid of spiritual life and power. How typical of churches today. And so God says to this church, Jesus says to this church, you need to heed the head of the church. And he goes on to give several things that they needed to follow. Verse 2, wake up! Become alert! Watchful for your souls. That can be said of each of us. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. We need to be watchful of our own souls. That's what Jesus said to Sardis. Later on, we find him saying in this verse also, Be strengthened. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen your faith. Strengthen your walk with Christ. Strengthen your doctrine. Strengthen who you are to be as a church that your works would count. And then he says in verse three, remember, remember the truth. Remember that truth that you first heard the truth about Jesus and how important that was to you as a lost person to hear about Jesus. Remember what he did in your life. Remember the mercy of God and how great that was to you when you first heard it. That's true of each of us. Constantly keep before us the mercy of God and remember that once you were dead in your trespasses and sins and He made you to be alive. And then he goes on to say in the same verse, repent in penitence, brokenness, sorrow, confession, confess your sins, turn from them, turn from your deadness. And then he says, finally, walk with Jesus. As he says in this verse, Therefore, remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me walk with me, walk again with Christ. Remember, 1 John teaches us that the one who is a true Christian will live like it, will walk like it. And so he says to them, walk with me. Now, I can't continue on and give you a complete review. That might just whet your appetite. We probably have some Recordings of those messages somewhere, but let's move on now to see again over the page. Pick up once again in our study of the church in Laodicea, which is where we are focusing our attention right now. Jesus had similar strong words for the church in Laodicea that he had for the church in Sardis. We saw beginning at verse 14 the description of the one who was addressing the church and then went on to look at his depiction of the church in verse 15 and following. They thought that they were good. They thought that they were doing a good job. But Jesus says, you are neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. But they thought that they were rich. They thought that they had become wealthy. They thought that they had need of nothing. But Jesus says, well, here's how I see you. And he starts out with several things, and we've addressed all but the last one. They too had an outward appearance of being a a great church. But they were a dead church inside. And Jesus says to them that you are first of all wretched despised, you are miserable, pitiable for their ignorance, thinking that all is fine. Last week he said to them, we saw that he said to them, you are poor. They had earthly wealth, but their earthly wealth meant nothing because they were not rich in the things of God. They were not rich in the things that mattered, the things of Christ, which matters most. I believe that every one of you here today, at least for the most part, wouldn't take millions of dollars to go to hell. Not all the tea in China, as my mother used to say, I wouldn't have any of it for the wealth that I have in Christ and for the hope of eternity with Him in glory. They did not have that perspective. They were more focused upon their material wealth than on the things of Christ Jesus. What will you give in exchange for your soul? And we left off with the next one where he says, you are blind, spiritually blind. They thought that they could see. They had that eye salve from their medical center. But as we saw from John chapter 9, because you think you can see, you are blind. Those who are saved by the grace of God will say with the writer of amazing grace, I once was blind, but now I see. Of course, Newton wrote that. He took that from the passage that we saw from John chapter 9. And the blind man who was healed, I once was blind, and now I see. Today we turn to their final depiction, the final depiction of Jesus given in the text. He says to them, Here in the text, you are naked. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, why would he say that to them? Remember that black wool? Those sheep that had the shiny black wool that I said Laodicea was noted for? What do you think they did with that wool? They didn't leave it on the sheep and go, wow, they look good sheep. They took the wool, they sheared the sheep, and they made garments, wealthy garments, very fashionable garments. So they were sharp-dressed men, to be sure. Well-dressed there in Laodicea. But as we saw with money, their clothing could never hide the true nature of their beings. They were dead. Dead inside. They might have fancy clothes outside, but inside they were dead. And the clothing doesn't change that. Doesn't change who they are inside. And so, They were stripped of that false appearance of being a Christian church. When Christ looks upon them, he sees their hearts because he's not talking about their clothes. He's talking about the fact that their hearts are dead and before him that is known. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. If you would, look down to verse 12. Let's get the the context here. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the vision of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is what the writer is saying. That the spirit pierces the outer garment. The outer skin. Into the very soul of your being and your heart is opened to God. He knows what is in your heart and so no fancy clothes or even raggedy clothes can hide the true nature of who you are to God. He knows you. He knows your heart. And as he says to the church in Laodicea, you are naked. Now again, what is he talking about? What do men need to be clothed with? Men need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. When God looks upon our hearts, he must see the righteousness of his own dear son, which clothes us. We sing that hymn. Are you washed in the blood, the soul cleansing blood of the lamb? We talk about being covered in the blood of Christ Are you covered in the blood of Christ? Are you covered with the righteousness of Christ? So that when God looks at you, He does not see your sin, but He sees the righteousness of His dear Son, Jesus, imputed upon you as His work of salvation. Every single man, woman, boy or girl who has been saved, truly saved, is clothed in the righteousness of Christ, covered by the blood of Christ. And what Jesus is saying to Laodicea as we look back to that passage, as He says to them that you are naked, He is saying to them that you do not have those robes that make you acceptable in the presence of the living God, clothed in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. Are you this day clothed with the righteousness of Christ? You may fool me. I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart. All of you look fine. Well-dressed, sharp-dressed men in this congregation. But God looks on the heart. I must hurry along and let's look at the rest of this passage and see that it is these things. Jesus calls them wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. These things to which he is addressing when he says, I know your deeds, this is verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, and the word is really, vomit you out of my mouth. It is these that bring the condemnation. Of Christ. And if I can say this rightly. And even reverently. It's almost worse. Than condemnation. Because he's saying to this church. You nauseate me. You literally. Make me. Ill. It is a picture of disgust. And judgment. And of course it is, as we have mentioned, speaking about that lukewarm water that was characteristic of Laodicea and the people would come and drink it and it caused them to vomit it out. And just as their lukewarm water caused men to spit it out, this church caused Jesus to spit them out of His mouth. What an indictment. What a terrible thing. Just as that lukewarm water made people sick, it made Jesus sick. Turned His stomach. That's the picture. Can't tolerate them. Can't tolerate that church. Now don't miss the fact That it is not that they were more sinful than the other churches. We just looked at a bit of Sardis. They were obviously a pretty bad church too. Jesus point blank calls them dead. Well, what makes Laodicea so nauseating to Jesus? It's not their works. It's not just their sin. It's their self-righteousness. That although they were in such sin and deadness, they thought that they were rich. They thought that they were good and had need of nothing. It was their self-righteousness that made Jesus nauseated. Their are high opinion of themselves. And perhaps even their delusion that they thought that they were doing things right when they were obviously so wrong. That's what brought Jesus to the point of saying that He would vomit them out. Now, can you imagine this church hearing that from Jesus? Because that's what happened. Do the messenger of the church at Laodicea tell them, You make me sick. you imagine hearing that from Jesus? What would you do if you heard that from Jesus? But before you answer that question, what do you think Laodicea did when they heard that from Jesus? It should have devastated them. But the sad truth is that most likely a lukewarm church wouldn't care anyway. What do they care? They had obviously turned their backs on Jesus long ago, turned their backs on truth. They were gone pretty quickly in church history, apparently. And we know the church is gone. All of these churches are gone today. But apparently, They didn't care what Jesus said. Why would they listen? It's unlikely that they would because they're like those that Jesus spoke of that has eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the word of God. I tell you, I've been in that situation more than once. Sent to churches that have had histories of not hearing the Word of God taught, not hearing the Word of God preached. And let me tell you, when they get to that point, they don't want to hear the Word of God taught. They don't want to hear the Word of God preached. They're too used to not hearing it, And when they hear truth, it goes against so much of what they'd been taught that they rebel against it. So even though Jesus comes and says, You make me sick, what do you think they said? So what? We're happy. We're rich. We have need of nothing. We're clothed. We have sight. We have money. We don't need God. Things are going okay. Don't kid yourself. That's true of a lot of churches today. A lot of churches. That even if you were to go and say to them, you're sinning against God. You're blind. You're miserable. You're wretched. You're poor. You're naked. They'd say, oh no, we're not. Who are you to tell us that? Look at all this stuff that we're doing. That's what Laodicea likely said. Denial, denial, denial. That's why Jesus was so sick of them. Self-righteousness. So, even though they turned their back on their Lord and would likely not listen to them, As we shall see, Jesus kindly offers them another chance. But we'll get to that. First, let me ask you this. Can you imagine you hearing this from Jesus? And I don't mean the church. I mean you personally being told that Jesus is sickened By you. And there may be some in this church today who are living self-righteous lives. Who think that they're good. Who think that they have wealth and are in need of nothing. Remember what we said about the poor when Jesus said you're poor. Rich people don't need God. It's sinners who are in need of a physician, not the righteous. I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. Search your own heart. Know for certain that when Christ looks at you, He does not say, you make me sick because that is judgment folks do you want to stand before the throne of God and hear Jesus say you make me sick God have mercy but then I ask this what about our church hearing this from Jesus, that we make Him sick. I believe that it would be devastating. I don't think we are indifferent to how we look to Christ. I don't think that is characteristic of our church. We don't have a lot of stuff. We don't have a lot of people. But I do pray that we have a lot of integrity Integrity that we are not lukewarm. That we are not self-righteous. And I pray that we would not be indifferent were we to hear this from Jesus. And you know what, folks? We are hearing it from Jesus. And so the light of the truth is shined on us. Do we make Jesus sick? Are we a lukewarm? warm church. And what I say to you and what I say to myself is we need to strive every day and certainly every time we gather to not be like this, to not be self-righteous, to not be indifferent, to not be lukewarm, but to be on fire for Christ in our lives, living holy lives in our church being a holy church and a godly church. For as I said about Laodicea, I fear that this is a very common plight today. That there are churches, and you can think of the names of the pastors in your mind right now, who pastor churches, who think that they have it all, And in reality, they make Jesus sick. May we not be counted among those. I fear that there is a big danger of that in our day, which means a big danger of His judgment. God deliver us from being a lukewarm church. Now we move on from seeing the description of the one addressing the church and the depiction of the church by our Lord Jesus to the declaration given to the church by our Lord Jesus. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I said to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Imagine this. Let's take the first one. As Jesus says this to them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to back up. Notice what he says first. I advise you. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? I advise you. Before we look at what he advises them, let's just ponder that for a few moments. Here is the wise counselor of the universe because advise you is the same word. I counsel you. Here is the wise counselor of the universe. The creator God who created all things and knows all things. And he's saying quite kindly to them, I counsel you. I advise you. I tell you this. Wouldn't you want to listen? I mean, he is the one who who is competent above any man, above anyone who knows the needs of everyone and certainly knows the needs of every one of his churches to tell you what you need to do. And this is what he's saying. I advise you. I counsel you. He, as the head of his church, knows what every one of his churches needs, and this is what he's telling them. This is why... We listen to Him in the Word. This is why we've been listening to what He says to churches, individual churches, for now seven years. Because we want to know what the head of the church says to His church. And every time we open the Word of God, I hope and pray that we're looking to see what the head of the church has to say to us. Because He is the one who has wise counsel. Wise advice. You see how foolish it is for men to spend so long in telling stories and jokes. And even as was mentioned by one of our members in the Sunday school hour this morning, they only preach for 15 minutes. What kind of education will they get anyway? We want such wise counsel. Wouldn't you? I mean, if the creator of the universe says to you, let me tell you what you need to do to be a billionaire. Well, then you'd listen. (laughs) And what he's telling them is far more important than being a billionaire. It's being rich in the things of Christ. Let me tell you how to go to heaven. Wow. Wouldn't you listen? What was that thing when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen? Well, what about Jesus? I don't even know if E.F. Hutton exists anymore. But I know Jesus does. Why don't people listen? I advise you, he says. This is why we turn to the Scriptures. Not to men, not to systems, not to a denomination and their ways, but to the Bible, the Word of God. For it has wise counsel, wise counsel to teach men even the need of salvation and the way of salvation in Christ. But not only do we see here the fact that he says to them, wise counsel from this great God. Don't miss the compassion here. Don't miss the compassion that Jesus turns to them and says, I advise you to do this. Because they turned their backs on him. They've thrown him under the bus, as we say. Done away with the teaching and the truth of him And his word time and time again, obviously they've turned from his truth and from his ways. And yet he's once again willing to say to them, let me tell you what you need to do to become right. Let me tell you what it takes for you to be the kind of church that I desire Let me tell you what you need to do to once again be a hot church. One that lives for Christ, studies His Word, and believes it. Let me tell you how to go back to having fellowship with me and communion with me and a hope of being in glory with me. This is compassion. As Jesus says to them, I advise you. And so now he gives them several words of counsel, several words of advice in his declaration to Laodicea. And the first one is, buy refined gold. As it says in the text, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Imagine that. The place that had all the gold was told by Jesus they needed to buy gold. Buy from me gold, but it's not just any gold; it is refined. Puro is the Greek word. Burn with fire to make it glow. Look back to just a couple of pages to Second Peter. 2 Peter, last chapter of the book, chapter 3, just before 1 John. In 2 Peter, chapter 3, look down to verse 11. Peter writes, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. That word burning is the same word used by our Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 3 when he says refined. Burning. Burned up with Right in the context, intense heat. Now look over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. You remember we took a few moments to look at this description of our Lord Jesus from Revelation chapter 1 when we first began our study and pretty much when we begin our study in the uh, book of Revelation every year. But he says in verse 14, his head and his hair were white. Like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in the furnace. Made to glow, refined. Some of you know that years ago, as I was actually studying some in seminary, and just before, mostly, I actually worked as a dental technician. I made, they used to do things a little differently, I understand, than they do now. But I used to make the gold that went under people's crowns. If you know, if some of you have crowns, obviously, there is a gold part that is glued to the remainder of the tooth that the dentist grinds away. And then the gold is glued to that, but on top of the gold is the porcelain. It ain't gold anymore. (laughs) But when I worked in dentistry, it was gold. And I worked in gold. And what we used to have to do before we would take the gold and shoot it into a crucible that had the Wax burned out of it that wax it was to fit just right on the impression that the dentist takes when he puts that gooey stuff in your mouth that goes to the dental lab they make a cast of that and all this other stuff but you take the gold to go into that crown and you have it on a centrifuge and the centrifuge is all ready to go cranked up and ready to go you hit that trigger and it flies and the gold shoots in to the crucible that holds that empty impression of where the gold should be. But before we'd let that centrifuge fly, we'd heat up the gold until it became glowing hot and liquid, and there would always be sediment that would rise to the top. So we'd glow it and get it red hot, molting gold, and we'd take a little instrument, we'd knock off the sediment. We'd knock it off to refine the gold, to make the gold pure. That's what Jesus is talking about. In Revelation chapter 3, when he says, I urge you, he says, I advise you, in verse 18, to buy from me gold, refined gold. By fire. That is the process. Purifying it. Making it pure. Now, what do you think that he's talking about? This pure gold. Well, of course, it can be seen in what we might call their lives. Their lives were to be pure. Our lives are to be pure. We are to live lives, sometimes tested by fire, tested by trial, but we are to live pure lives. But more importantly, he's talking about the gold of the gospel, the pure, precious pearl of great price, which is none other than Jesus and His righteousness, without which none of us will ever see heaven. We have to have the precious gold of Christ covering us with His righteousness. And He says in the text, you must buy it from Me. You can't go anywhere else You can't buy it from a preacher. You don't get it because your mom or your dad are Christians. You don't get it because you go to church. It only comes from Christ. As you fall at his feet. As one who humbly bows before this precious King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen to our Lord, as He says it in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Look at verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant. With you, according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Come to him and buy this precious gold without money. Wouldn't you like to have some gold without money? Come and buy. Come and buy what satisfies, what is really valuable. Don't spend your money on things that don't matter. Don't spend your money on things that don't count. Come and buy from me life everlasting. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, You must buy it from him. Come, I advise you, come and buy from me refined gold, eternal life. I give you this promise. Some of you kids. Some of you adults. You can go to Him. You can go to Him. And He will not cast you out. He will receive you. And He will give you precious, refined gold. Salvation in Christ. Do you have this gold? If you do not. I say to you, in the name of Jesus, His wise counsel, come and buy this precious, refined gold, which is salvation in Christ. Buy it today and live forever. Let's pray.